Hey guys, sorry it's so late at night, but I um, got a little bit of time to kill. I'm gonna go and uh, have an appointment at 8.30 to get another tattoo. Hopefully that doesn't offend anybody. Um, in honor of my dad. So I wanted to get this in before I head over there because I guess tattoo artists sleep all day and, and work at night. All right, uh, let's resume our Ram and Goat Part 2 here in Daniel chapter 8. We're going to start at verses 13 and 14. And remember, we're seeing a picture of the small horn um, that is making war against heaven. Uh, the languages attack the heavenly army, reach the heavens, throwing some of the heavenly beings and stars to the ground and trampling them, even challenge the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices. So this is referring to uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, but like I shared last week, a lot of times the, the prophecy will go in and out of different time periods, and so it's really important to pay close attention to the language that is being used. So here we are. Uh, in verse 13, it says, Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. One of them asked, How long will the events of this vision last? How long will rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? And how long will the temple and heaven's army be trampled on? The other replied, It will take 23,000 evenings and mornings, and the temple will be made right again, which the temple was made right on the 25th of Kislev, 164 BC by the Maccabees. Now they had 360 day calendars back then. So it was a little bit over um, uh, three years. And we'll, we'll dive into the timeline a little bit more. But the holy ones, the supernatural beings, were watching this small horn go after God's people and make war against God himself and against his, uh, his supernatural beings and heavenly realm, etc., and they're even wondering how long. And uh, the question should be for us when we start seeing a lot of shaking, we start seeing a lot of things going on, is not how long, but how can I position myself to, to take the most advantage of what is happening and what is going on so that victory um, will be ensured uh, at the end of the shaking. So the 2300 evenings and mornings is actually the morning and evening evening temple sacrifices. So it, it equaled 1,150 days. Antiochus defiled the temple in 167 BC. And like I said, it was rededicated in 164 BC. Uh, and the Kislev is the November to December uh, time frame. And that's the reason for Hanukkah. That's where that came from. And so they, they basically took it back in a little over three years, just like uh, Daniel prophesied. So then in verse 15, it says, And I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision. Someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Uli River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the times of the end. Now, that's important because, like I've said before, Antiochus Epiphanes and the abomination of desolation that he did in the temple was a preview 
of the end of the age when the final Antichrist ruler will do the same thing. So he says, it's for the time of the end. And while he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Okay, so one purpose for heaven's armies being restrained was to create a reference point uh, for later on. So remember, when the Lord said in Matthew verses 15 through 21, let me read this to you. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath. For there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. So when he used the phrase abomination of desolation, the Jews would instantly recall because they knew their history, Antiochus Epiphanes and what he did and what sparked the Maccabean revolt. So the Jews called the placing of Zeus in the temple by Antiochus, the cessation of the sacrifices of abomination of desolation and the slaughtering of a pig that Antiochus did in the most holy place, they call that the abomination of desolation. But Jesus is clearly putting a, another event of, of similar occurrence in the future right before the great tribulation. We know from Daniel chapter 9, which we'll get into, that the, the final Antichrist makes a treaty and he breaks it in the middle of that seven-year period. And then he creates the abomination of desolation. So he's letting us know this is going to happen again. So there are lots of reasons for heaven being restrained, including the geopolitical maneuvering that needed to occur. But also it created a reference point so that people would recognize, whoa, we've heard of this. It's happening again. Okay, we know now that when Jesus said, when you see this, there are specific things to pray for and specific things to do, uh, and they'll be able to do it. So it's, it's in his mercy. It's amazing how detailed and specific the Bible is on the end of the age. So Jesus called the placing of the, you know, Zeus in the temple, the cessation of the sacrifices, all of that stuff, the abomination of de uh, desolation. Again, we know it's referring to the time of the end, according to the uh, angel Gabriel, but also Jesus's words says that this act starts the great tribulation, which is 3.5 years. And then he also lets us know how crazy it's going to be. He says in Matthew 24, 22, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So they're going to be fierce. There's going to be a lot of devastation and destruction so absolute that God has to intervene and shorten the days. Um, we do know, I don't, I don't know if it's Zechariah or Zephaniah, but one of them said that over two-thirds of the Jewish population will be eliminated uh, during those times. Okay, in verse 19, he said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have per seen pertains to the very end of time. 
The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes is the first king of the Greek empire, which was Alexander the Great. I mean, isn't it amazing how specific this is? The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. So none are going to have the power that um, um, Alexander the Great had. Okay, so the time of wrath. This is where people get confused, and this is where they get, this is like the, the, the stumbling block on knowing where our catching away is. The Great Tribulation is not God's wrath. If you read uh, the book of Revelation, it clearly says that his wrath are the bowls, which happens after the, the seals and after the trumpets. The great tribulation wrath is the Antichrist against everything that's God's. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, when the devil couldn't completely destroy the remnant of Israel, he then turned his attention to her offspring. We're her offspring. And so when it says we're not appointed to wrath, absolutely we're not appointed to God's wrath. But the tribulation is not God's wrath. It is a, an opportunity for people to repent. And the wrath that we will experience will be at the hands of the Antichrist. Um, now, in uh, verse 23, at the end of their rule, the four kings, when their sin is at its height. So we're, we're starting to see some of that. A fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. Um, this vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time. So keep the vision a secret. Okay. This is a dual thing that's happening here. Uh, the first thing is this is referring both to Antiochus and, uh, to the future Antichrist. We know it's referring to Antiochus because we see the 2300 evenings and mornings again. But if you go up to, um, the first part where it says uh, he will become very strong, but not by his own power. Um, if you look in Revelation 13, the Antichrist is empowered by the dragon himself, which would be Lucifer. So that can be an illusion there, but I also think it could apply to Antiochus just depending on how he was able to gain power, which I've not dug into as much. Um, so there could be some dual things going on. But what we do know for a fact is that Antiochus did not take on the princes of princes in battle. Uh, that did not happen. The Antichrist will. The, one of the bowls is the Euphrates dries up so that the armies of the Antichrist um, can cross Euphrates uh, to get to Armageddon, which I'll kind of dive into what that might be in the Revelation study. But um, it's a hook in their nose because the Lord is dragging them into battle. And, uh, and so Antiochus did not take on Jesus Christ himself. But we know that the, the future Antichrist will try to do so. And then it says that he will be uh, broken, though not by human power. Uh, now, 
um, the phrases where it says a shocking amount of destruction, destroy powerful leaders, devastate the holy people, master of deception, arrogant, destroy uh, many without warning. Uh, I'll speak of the, the future Antichrist as well. Antiochus did a lot of this on a smaller level. Uh, he was like a typical Antichrist world uh, power that wanted, you know, everyone to submit to him. But only again will the future Antichrist take on the Prince of Peace or the Prince of Princes, um, literally. Now, in Daniel 7, 23 through 27, it says, The fourth beast is a fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the, uh, the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from the other ten who will sub subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress holy people the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So this is referring to the future Antichrist kingdom, not Antiochus Epiphanes. Why am I showing you this? Because you have to learn to weave in the prophecy the direction God is going and look for those little pieces that are clues to like, okay, this could apply to both then and later or this is strictly for then or this is strictly for later so it's it's important to right rightly divide the word of truth and i think by not doing that and reading things in consecutive orders uh order we we've gotten kind of messed up a little bit so uh revelation 9 11 through 21 refer to what daniel just uh we just read in Daniel 7, 23 through 27, where the Lord returns and then the beast and the kings of this world and their armies gather together to fight against the one setting on his horse and army. This is verse uh, 19. The beast is captured with the false prophet, uh, did many miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And then the vultures gorged themselves on the dead bodies. And so th that is a fulfillment of what Daniel saw in chapter 7. And so then verse 27 of Daniel 8, it says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and I could not understand it, which I bet a lot of us feel that way when we read Revelation. But I think if you like look at history and how it came to pass so so precisely based on Daniel's uh, visions, it gives you an idea of how things are going to go down at the end of the age. And there's plenty of clues as to what some of the nations are, um, some of the key players, and how these things are going to occur. And you might be wondering, what exactly does this have to do with marketplace ministers? Well, remember, when I first started saying Daniel is because the Lord told me to say the end times. I'm like, well, where do I start? And he said, Daniel. And when I started studying Daniel, I was surprised by how much um, marketplace 
principles there were. Uh, but I can tell you this. I feel like the people of God, especially the church system, um, has become very narcissistic. We're only concerned with us, our future, um, and and we've like abdicated our role in government. We've abdicated our role in the marketplace of really bringing about a, a tremendous and strong influence. And our role in the nation and in nations cannot be underestimated. Jesus said, go make disciples of nations. And the way that's done is by being a, a very active influencer in the marketplace, which includes government and business. And uh, we also need to have the, the anointing of the sons of Issachar, who they could look and discern the times and they knew what to do. And so that's where we have to be very shrewd and watching events and knowing, okay, I need to position myself here or I need to do these specific things. I need to get this specific strategy from the Lord and execute it so that I am in a position of advantage on furthering his purposes, but also taking advantage of as an opportunity for me or my family to fulfill the will of God for our lives and why, why we've been born, basically. Um, so don't get in fear, don't, don't get worried, but ask, okay, Lord, this is happening. What should my response to it be? Do you have any strategy or anything that I need to execute? And then what in me could hinder me from doing those things? Let's just get them out on the table and let's deal with them. Because I'm telling you, I'm seeing Christians that have been pastors, ministers for years and years and years, and they are losing their ever-loving mind. Sexual sin, sin, greed, and, and they're deceived. You can't tell them, hey, that's not cool. Like, I mean, you've read the Bible. You know that's not cool, and they can't see it. They can't see. It's, it's very scary, actually. That scares me more than tribulation, quite frankly. So God in his mercy tells us things that are coming, not because they're his will. It's not his will that everything starts freaking out at the end. It's not his will that despots take over nations. But he tells us these things so that we're informed and we can pray. So discernment is to know, um, you know, do we pray against this thing? And take action or is this something that's going to happen and we need to just you know order our steps in his will and navigate through those crazy times that might be coming uh and unfortunately a lot of doctrines have just made um apathy and complacency of a stronghold in the church and that's why i think the lord's like hey you need to say this number one so you don't get so mad at political leaders in the media but number two, I spoke more about the end times than almost anything else. And that's for our benefit. All right. Well, I'm going to go and get my in honor of dad tattoo. And um, hopefully I'll have time to do our urgent education. I ran out of time last week. Guys, it's been crazy. I um, have to make some more adjustments. I feel like I the goodness of the Lord is overtaking me. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm you know, what to do with all of it. Uh, and I've got some ideas, but anyway, uh, the urgent education and this teaching is very important, uh, to me and hopefully it's blessing you. All right. Well, I'm going to head out. You have a good night.